Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this series, we're examining every single goddamn page of Alien Hunger, a quick start adventure for Vampire the Masquerade, to determine what is the dumbest thing on that page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. If you'd like to play along at home, this is 1991's Alien Hunger, the official PDF release from White Wolf. Tonight we're discussing page 23 of Alien Hunger. Tonight is exciting, tonight may be a little bit scattered, because tonight it's sleuthing time. Vampire Drama Club, they're in the midst of a very complex situation. Multiple mysteries, multiple threats. They were kidnapped by an old beardy man named Jacob Prester. Why? No one knows. Stuck in a basement. Why? No one knows. Turned into vampires. Why? How? No one knows. They escaped a burning building by going through a secret basement into the sewer. Is that how sewers work? Not really, but let's go with it. Our protagonists became vampires. What the fuck is a vampire? How do we exist? What do we do? They don't know. They met one vampire, Angel Tony. He told them they were dumb, stood them up at a goth club, and then vanished. What the fuck? It turns out that Columbo is a real man who lives in Denver and is now investigating them for murders, which they may or may not have committed, as well as an arson, which they definitely didn't commit. How are we going to evade this police investigation? We don't know. Who actually did commit the arson? No clue. Apparently, the vampires of Denver hate us. That's what Angel Tony said. Is that true? We don't know. If so, why? Don't know. What happened to Tony? No clue. So, at this point, we enter scene three, Seek and Ye Shall Find, which ye fucking better or you stand a real chance of getting killed by rival vampires and or Lieutenant Columbo. So this scene isn't really a scene, it's just the place in the plot where Vampire Drama Club can split up and use their respective abilities to try to figure out what the hell is happening in this plot and this city. We're going to assume that the player characters split up rather than kind of like focusing on one of these potential avenues of investigation at a time. Makes sense, they're under a time crunch, they're being investigated, and they all have quite different abilities. The first possibility presented on this page is to look into Jacob Prester's finances. Now, you may ask yourself, is it the best use of our time to try to understand the financial situation of the mystery man with the beard who put us in his basement and is dead now, given that we are being actively hunted by two separate parties in this city? The answer is yes. Emerson Wilkershire III is a banker. He knows money. He loves money. And he probably shouldn't go out on the mean streets of Denver when he is despised by an unknown number of local vampires and he is prone to go into a coma if he sees an excessively well-tailored suit because he is a Toreador. Let's just send Emerson to look into the dead beard man's financial records. But the way he has to go about it is somewhat strange. Quote, to research Prester's finances, you should have the player roll his intelligence plus finance with a target of six. This is true research involving looking in libraries and making phone calls and so on. If the characters come up with a particularly brilliant plan, you should have them roll against a difficulty of five. Uh, No mention is made of how you are supposed to investigate Jacob Prester's finances at a library, given especially that you are a vampire who cannot go out in the daytime, and that by this stage you may well have faked your own death. It also says that you can make some phone calls. That could help. And uh, between the library and calling people on the phone, on an average roll with a little luck, Emerson should be able to figure out all of the clues available on this page. That, quote, Jacob Prester's money was handled by the respected Denver broker Ainsley Whitman. Two years ago, Prester gave Whitman a half a million dollars to invest and has since been living off the proceeds. And 
The money came from numbered Swiss bank accounts. In addition, Prester had letters of introduction from two prominent Boston lawyers, and Prester has a safety deposit box at the United National Bank of Denver. So Emerson is really earning his keep here. It's pretty impressive. Using only his intellect, his financial savvy, the magic of the public library, and a 1990s landline telephone, he was able to discover, in like one night, not only who this stranger, Jacob Prester's broker was, but how much money Prester had invested with him, what forms of income Prester had, the fact that the money he invested with the broker came from Swiss bank accounts, and that Prester has a safety deposit box, and which bank it's at. The only way this makes sense to me is if the finance knowledge, in this case, represents that respected Denver broker Ainsley Whitman is on Emerson Wilkershire III's polo team, and as polo brothers, there are no secrets between them. And so Emerson basically went to the library, asked to use the phone, called Ainsley Whitman, and was like, what can you tell me about Jacob Prester, one of your clients? And Ainsley was like, for you, a fellow rich person, anything. So Emerson did his job. He was rich and therefore successful. Classic Emerson. By the way, we, we know nothing about this Ainsley Whitman. This person is never mentioned anywhere else in the book. So we are free to speculate about his polo affiliations. Now, next time we're going to get into some other avenues of investigation that Vampire Drama Club is going to look into, and they're going to require the attention of Teresa and Monica and Flash. So the other big route of investigation on this page, investigating Jacob Prester himself, falls by process of elimination to Marcus, who, unless Jacob Prester had a giant anime figurine collection we didn't know about, really has nothing to contribute specifically to this investigation. He's just kind of doing legwork. So if the players do want to go investigate Jacob Prester, here's how it works. Quote, they may choose to speak to his neighbors and discover his habits and guests. If they do, each attempt will take one whole evening, since people are not generally amenable to answering questions late at night. Yeah, don't go knock on people's doors at 3 a.m. asking for information. That's what the library is for. Quote, each character who wishes to may try to gain information, but may only try once. They may choose from a variety of methods, but the results are the same. And it gives a bunch of different ways you can try this. Uh, manipulation plus subterfuge, where you just straight up lie. Charisma plus empathy where you give them a sob story, make them feel bad for you, which I, doesn't particularly sound like charisma plus empathy to me, but all right. Uh, manipulation plus intimidation, where I guess you hang them upside down, like Batman interrogating a thug, and you're like, tell me about your neighbor. Uh, you can do appearance plus etiquette, <laughs> which this approach the book characterizes as, quote, it is unimportant why I desire this information. Just tell me, because I look important. There's also a wits plus intelligence option, where it says you're basically just telling the truth, but kind of fast talking. Can't tell people you're investigating in a non-specific way. You can also add any dots in fame to your role if you roll appearance plus etiquette. And this is why it's a good thing that Sir Bloodworth is here to back up Marcus. Because Marcus is a thin mustached little dweeb who looks like he decorates his apartment with anime wall scrolls. People don't open up to that kind of person. Sir Bloodworth, on the other hand, appearance four, eye patch, silver temples, distinguished beard, rides up to your house on a fucking horse. Like what says... I am important, don't question it more than riding up to someone's house on a horse and not just a horse, but like a steed coming up to their door and saying, you know, I am noted patron of the arts and actual knight of the realm, Sir Allnut Bloodworth. Tell me about your neighbor. So Sir Bloodworth is just going to kill this role. And, you know, on an average role, he's only going to get three successes here. We're going to assume he gets four. He could spend a point of willpower on this or I mean, he is a multi multi millionaire. So, you know, if he needs to grease the wheels a little bit, 
if the neighbors are not suitably impressed and don't want to give up all the information they have about their neighbor, then Sir Bloodworth can whip out his wallet and be like, you say you don't remember what you saw that night. Would, flip, 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 $500,000 change your mind? So don't worry about all nut. He's going to be fine. We're, we're going to get the info. Here's what we learned from the neighbors. Oh, and Marcus too. Good job, Marcus. What Sir Allnut Bloodworth and in parentheses Marcus learn is that, number one, Prester was quiet, good neighbor, kind of a weirdo, didn't have a lot of people come over to see him, never really saw him leave the house, never really saw anybody come to him. Quote, the only visitor he did have at all regularly was a blonde gentleman in a Jaguar. It goes on to say, quote, the Jaguar's license number was Science, a vanity plate. This book has thrown a lot of mysteries at us so far, a lot of confusion. This is the first time I have been legit hooked. Who the fuck is Science Jaguar? Up to this point, this was all fairly standard, like low-level vampire shit, right? Like old beardy man, lives in a big mansion, doesn't get any visitors, kidnaps us, puts us in the basement, turns us into vampires. I didn't get it, but I got it. You know what I mean? We don't know why exactly this happened, but that's the story. We like we know we know kind of who these characters are, what kind of story this is. Then when we're investigating him, like, you know, who was this guy? Tell us his story. We're expecting some kind of like anachronism, a telltale sign that he's from another age, or like sometimes he would carry out, you know, oddly shaped bags out to his garden and bury them in the backyard or whatever. Vampire stuff. Instead, we find out, yeah, there was actually one person who visited him regularly. A blonde man driving a Jaguar with a license plate that just says science. I have to know who this man is. I mean, if I'm expected to be inquisitive enough about this situation to go call fucking respected Denver broker Ainsley Whitman and find out the state of Jacob Prester's finances, I am definitely going to be interested to find out why he was getting regular visits from the swaggering, blonde, mysterious figure of science Jaguar. So I'm on the hook for this. If we solve nothing else, we gotta track down Science Jaguar. That is the dumbest thing in this page. A vanity plate that says science is just so, so on the nose and yet so intriguing. Which, by the way, thank you so much for telling me it's a vanity plate. It, I, I, it was bothering me because it seemed like a huge coincidence that it happened to be science, but now I understand. Thank you. It is this book being dumb in a way that invites you in, which I really appreciate. Now, unfortunately, because I would love the rest of this adventure to just be about tracking the science jaguar to his lair, we do have some other things we need to investigate. Join me next time for that on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been Mega Dumbcast. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Social media was never healthy and is now dying, so if you want to contact me, you can email me. I am megadumbcast at gmail.com. This season's theme song is Suck City by Black Math, whose work you can find at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash black underscore math. Dumbheads, I will catch you next time.